I'll invite you guys to make your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are going to bookmark 1 Corinthians, begin our study on the spiritual gifts, if you haven't been here. So bookmark 1 Corinthians 12, and I want you to follow me from there to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be start our journey into the spiritual gifts with Peter, because what Peter does for us is kind of gives us a broad organization concerning spiritual gifts. He doesn't give all the classes that we're going to look at, but we will uh, we will consider that nonetheless in due time. That's all right. I know the feeling, you know. I mean, I woke up doing that, so no. Just kidding. First Peter four. In verse 10 and 11, Peter writes this for us. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Manifold grace is the Greek word. Many colored. Verse 11, Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's a few important things that Peter highlights, even though he doesn't mention any of the gifts in particular. What he does show us is how he thought of the gifts in general. He mentions in verse 10, each of us has received a gift, let us therefore use it, exercise it, employ it, so that we might prove ourselves to be good stewards of God's grace. This is one of the aspects of God's grace that we often don't think about. We often think of God's grace toward us in the sense of having forgiven us our sin, right? But part of God's grace towards you, toward me, is the fact that He's also given you something a spiritual gift, in order to use it to build up God's body. That is also part of God's grace toward us. And not only that, what Peter says here is very important. We've all received this grace. God expects us to exercise the gifts. In other words, he says that would be showing yourself to be a good steward of the grace. If we're not employing the gifts that he gives us, we're not being a good steward of God's grace, to put it in a negative sense, to help us understand why why that's important. So we all desire to want to be good stewards of the grace God has given us, recognizing He's equipped us for some aspect of service. But then he says in verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Peter recognizes there's two very general, broad categories of spiritual gifts. There's a third one he doesn't talk about, and that will be the offices of apostle, prophet, so on and so forth. We'll get to that in due time. But the gifts that God has given can broadly be categorized as speaking gifts or serving gifts. Now, I know that's not hard and fast as far as this categorization. Some of them bleed over. For instance, encouragement is one of the spiritual gifts. You primarily encourage people through your words, but also encouragement can happen through your actions. We understand that. So it's not a hard line. But generally, there's the speaking gifts And there's the serving gifts. And we're going to follow that outline as we go through 1 Corinthians 12 as well as Romans. But I want to remind us what Peter ends with here before we move on. He says, 
All these gifts are to be exercised. We're to be good stewards of these gifts. For what purpose? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We taught this a couple weeks ago. We'll reiterate it again. Spiritual gifts are not to be exercised to make ourselves look great. In fact, the fact that it's a gift should tell each one of us, I couldn't have done this on my own. This is not about me. Um, I'm a teacher, but man, I tell you, if God had not given me that ability, there's no way I'd be standing up here. And there's a time in my life where I didn't want to be up here. So it's not to exalt the one who's given the gift. It's, it's to exalt the one who gives the gift. All glory be to God. That was one of the five solos of the Reformation that we hold to. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Okay, so with that in mind, the speaking gifts, the serving gifts, now turn back to 1 Corinthians 12. The reason I wanted to go to 1 Peter is because we're going we're gonna to go through the gifts in, that category, in those categories Peter mentions to help our, our brains organize it. Okay, But Paul doesn't go through 1 Corinthians 12. He doesn't list the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 according to those categories. So we're going to Skip around a little bit as we make our way through the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. Broadly speaking, here's the gifts that would fall under speaking gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, teaching, exhortation, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Serving gifts would generally be serving, which we're going to get to. That's Romans 12.7, I believe to be the office of a deacon. Giving, leading, administrating, mercy, Faith, gifts of healing, effecting of miracles, discerning of spirit, the gift of helps, and one you probably didn't think of, the gift of celibacy. That's in 1 Corinthians 7.7. 7. Paul specifically mentions that as a gift. So, then there's the third category I referenced real quickly, the category of the offices, which God does call a gift. The office of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teachers, and as I said earlier, deacons. So, the ones we're going to begin covering this morning are the first three of the speaking gifts. Um, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and then we're going to go over to Romans and cover teaching. Okay. Now these are wonderful gifts, um, as with most of them, and we're going to do a separate study on this. There's disagreement, debate as to what they are. Um, for instance, word of wisdom and word of knowledge. This is the only place in 1 Corinthians 12 where that phrase finds... Space in the Scriptures. And so, people don't agree as to what exactly the knowledge is of. Okay, And broadly speaking, those who believe the miraculous gifts have ceased say this is knowledge of the Word of God. Those who believe that the gifts are still in operation today say that it is the Word of God, but it is also something else. And we'll look at that. Okay, So let's make our way through now, beginning in 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 7, we'll read it together. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Then he begins, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance or word of wisdom, and to another the utterance or word of knowledge. We'll stop there. The word of wisdom heads the list in Paul's categories here. The Greek word is logos, sophia probably heard that the love of wisdom uh, is is quite a topic to study Sophia is the the word for wisdom logos is word John 1 
right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He is the Logos. So this gift, as well as the next gift, as I said, are unique phrases in the Scripture, and so it makes it somewhat difficult to pinpoint exactly what this Word of Wisdom is. As I said, with Word of Wisdom in particular, some take this gift to be non-miraculous, non-revelatory is the word. It doesn't necessarily reveal something new. In fact, those who believe that it's non-revelatory usually argue that if it, if, if you take wisdom or knowledge to be in the sense of the scriptures, but yet you say that God is revealing something new, then you're adding to the scriptures. Um, that's their argument. And, and that is a, if that's what knowledge or wisdom is referring to, just wisdom in the scriptures or, or knowledge in the word of God, then you would be adding something new. And, and this book that we have is not complete in its canon. I don't believe that's what wisdom and knowledge is only referring to, though. I believe that, uh, well, let's get into it, okay? Let's do some background on, on what wisdom is, first of all, because wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. And many have a hard time understanding the difference. We know from Scripture that wisdom is the application of knowledge and understanding. You can see people, even apart from spiritual things, some people have great knowledge of things, right? They're able to retain an incredible amount of information. And yet when it comes to the application of what those things are, they have no idea what what to do with it. It's meaningless. It's useless to them in that sense. So wisdom is the proper application of things we know and understand. In general, the Scripture encourages each and every one of us to grow in wisdom. In fact, Psalm 111, verse 10 states, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. James 1.5 says this way, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, whatever the word of wisdom is, it's not just the general growth expected of every believer. We are all expected to grow in the knowledge and grace of God. We're all expected to ask for wisdom when we recognize we don't have it. So it's not the general exhortation for every believer to grow in wisdom. Neither is this gift, as some uh, would make it out to be, this gift is not a vast reservoir of wisdom that somebody has, some gurus, right? Where they can just draw on this vast ocean of wisdom at whim. That kind of cancels out the idea of a word of wisdom, right? It's not something that they can just draw on. In fact, that's how the Gnostics, the early heresy in in the church, Gnosticism, that's how they thought of it. They alone had the secret wisdom, and you could not attain to salvation unless you gained it through them. We still find strands of that heresy today. People who would claim to have wisdom beyond what this, this says, and they can just draw on it, secret, you don't have access to it. They're falling in to this error. Neither is it a vast reservoir of wisdom that that person, as I said, can just draw upon at whim. In other words, they don't walk around or float around on a cloud as the all-wise one just spouting out their wisdom. That's not at all what this gift is. Okay, What this gift is, here's the definition I'm going to give to you, and this is very precise. Okay, It's the Holy Spirit working through the individual that has this gift, to say the right words at the right time, specific to the need and situation with proper spiritual truth and application. It's a mouthful. I get it. I want to say it again for you. 
It's being able to say the right words at the right time, specific to a need or situation, with proper truth and application. That's why I believe this this gift is both revelatory and Scripture-based. It's revelatory because the Lord in a moment gives you wisdom that you did not have. And He gives you wisdom to bring somebody to proper understanding of what it is they ought to do. Okay, Let's look at some scriptural examples together so you see it in operation in the Word. Then I'll give you some personal examples. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16-28, through 28, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to summarize it for you. It's the account of King Solomon. Now, King Solomon pleased the Lord in what it was that he asked from the Lord. You remember that. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for the heads of his enemies. He asked for wisdom to be able to lead this great people of God. And the Lord was pleased with that. The very first account that we have of Solomon exercising this wisdom, we see this gift in operation, I believe. You remember there's two prostitutes who both had a child. In the evening, one of the mothers rolled onto the child, suffocated it. So she got up, switched the children, When the other mother whose child was unharmed woke up, she thought it was her child that was dead until she began looking at the child, recognizing this is not my baby. In fact, that's my baby that this woman now has. So she brings her case to King Solomon. And Solomon decides the case in a very wise way. Now I'm telling you, there's no way Solomon could be sitting there thinking before this woman comes in, you know, if this situation were to ever happen to me, what would I say? How do you plan for something like that? How do you answer a situation like that? There's no way to know. So this woman pleads her case. The other woman pleads her case. No, this is my child. Da-da-da-da-da. You can read the account. Solomon basically says, okay, I know how to solve it. Let's take the child that's living, cut it in half, and give half to each, each mother. And the mother of the child, the real mother of the child, says, no! Save the child's life. While the mother who stole the baby said, yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) Through his wisdom, he was able to discern what? Whose baby it was. In the New Testament, let's turn to Luke 20 with me. Keep your finger here in 1 Corinthians. Luke chapter 20. I love looking at this gift in operation in the Gospels. Jesus does it over and over. Demonstrates it. In Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, you know this account. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? In verse 19 of Luke 20, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So what did they do? They watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness, and he said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what was what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. 
Jesus confounds those spies with his word of wisdom in the moment, right? He exposes their error and he brings proper application of truth to the situation. In this case, exposing their deceptions. In Acts chapter 6, if you want to make your way to Acts chapter 6, a passage we've become familiar with at Waypoint, this is an early, this is in fact the big problem, the first big problem facing the early church. Some of the Hellenists, the Greek Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, were complaining that they were being neglected during the daily distribution of food. Their widows were not receiving any. In verse 2, the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. There's the wisdom. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Again, an issue threatening literally to divide the first church. It's a big deal. And the apostles come together, and in an instant, they perceive what needs to happen. Here's how we deal with this. Again, the apostles couldn't have been sitting around going, you know, in this case, if this were to happen, or maybe... No. But in the moment, God gave them wisdom to meet the need, the situation, with proper truth and proper application. The same happens in Acts 15. When the issue of, are we under law or are we not under law? Do we need to have the Gentiles who are coming to faith be circumcised or not? All the legalists are saying, yes, they need to keep the law of Moses. Peter, Paul... Barnabas were saying, no, they don't. They're not under that burden. But it was when James finally spoke up and, and gave this word of wisdom, says, you know what? They're not under the law, but let's ask them to do this and this and this, right? And the result, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but the result again was that it pleased and satisfied everybody. They saw the wisdom in what James said. So this gift is often but not exclusively found in those whom God calls to full-time ministry. And I'm not necessarily saying just to pastor it, right? Missionaries often face difficulties or situations on the mission field that are completely foreign to them because it's a completely foreign culture. And in the moment, God gives the word of wisdom to them. Here's what to do. Here's what to say. It brings proper application of truth to the situation. What are the effects of this gift on the church? I love this. We're told generally what the fruit of wisdom is in James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, but specifically verse 17. Here's generally what wisdom brings to a church. And so you can see, you can take this from James and say, when the word of wisdom is being exercised in a congregation, here's what we'll expect to see. James says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and insincere. That's the fruit of wisdom. So when someone who has this gift speaks a word of wisdom to the body, it's going to be those things. In other words, the effects will be something like this to the church. When there's an issue facing our church and someone exercises this gift, the people, whatever side they might be on, will say, that's good. I see that. 
It's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 6, right? There was the Hellenists and there was the Jews, and they were divided. And when the apostles gave their word of wisdom to the situation, the whole result was it brought them back together. They said, that's good, it pleased them. Same thing happened in Acts 15 when James gives his word of wisdom. The church at Antioch, that was mainly Gentiles, when they received James's word of wisdom, it encouraged them in the faith. They saw it. So this gift, personally, um, very often, I'll say this, God will work through people with this gift to bring divided people together. This gift often diffuses heated disagreements, and it has the effect of causing both sides to see God's wisdom in this situation. We know from Scripture, this is an obvious point, but I'm going to say it, we know from Scripture that Scripture does not detail every situation you'll face in life. Right? I never read in my Bible, Seth, you're going to marry this blonde bombshell named Jill Sorley. She's going to step into Texaco Baptist Church. I never read that, right? But God gave me discernment through general principles of Scripture so that we can discern His will. That's what this gift is intended to do in a body. It brings joy, it brings brings peace, it brings growth in both love and knowledge for God as well as for each other. It mediates, in that sense, the very presence of God because when it's exercised and when someone speaks a word of wisdom to a situation that's either dividing or threatening to divide or confounding some people, it has the effect of, man, God used what you said to settle this issue for me. And you have the faith and assurance that, you know what? God's speaking through that. That's good. I see God's goodness toward me. Metaphorically, I I say it this way. This gift parts the waters and illuminates the pathway by which we can move forward. Gives you clear direction where once you didn't see it. What's the application for us? I personally find this gift in operation often in my own ministry. And here's, here's how. You'll probably hear me say it sometime. There are so many times I'm talking with people or counseling where I'm listening to what's happening, listening to what they're facing, listening to what's going on, and inwardly I'm thinking, holy cow, I have no idea what to say. Now, my face probably says it to you, and you're like, oh, I'm never talking to that guy again. There's, there's such a variety of things that you guys face and are going through and dealing with that I'm, I'm foreign to. I don't perceive what to do. But I have come very frequently to trust in this gift that the Lord will give me wisdom for the moment. And very often as I sit and listen to what's going on, boom, a scripture comes to mind. And in my mind, it's illuminated with proper application to what you're facing. I share it and I'll say something like this. You know, a scripture just came to mind. (laughs) And I'll say it. And the person sitting across is like, oh yeah, okay. That's this gift. It happens often. So it's revelatory. I'm not adding anything to the Word of God, right? But I am. The Lord is showing me something to apply the Word of God to what it is you're facing. That's the Spirit's work. There's so many times this happens. I've I've truly come to trust the Lord in this for my own ministry. It's overwhelming to me some of the things sometimes that I have to face, and I don't know what to do. But you know what? That's why this is a gift. I don't, I don't have to rely on my own wisdom. <laughs> I don't have enough. I'm not that smart. 
But the Lord empowers that to work. Uh, if you guys were here when we walked through the whole issue with, um, with going through First Presbyterian, and we asked the, you guys to pray and fast, the day of prayer and fasting, you know, whether we're going to merge with them or not. I prayed and fasted all day, and I didn't know how to lead the church through that situation because there was half of our church was like, we don't want to become that. Half of our church was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Could have, could have split our church. As I prayed and fasted all day, I was sitting here as a Wednesday, if you remember. I was sitting in my office, right up front, and uh, praying and fasting. And literally, in a moment, boom, the Lord took me to passage of Scripture, Romans 14, expounded it. I shared it that night. And guess what it did? It brought us together. That was not an issue. I'm not going to go through that whole thing. If you were there, you saw that gift in operation. That was literally how it works. Okay? So this is a very, very beautiful gift when it's being operated in the body of Christ. And, and a word of caution with all the gifts, people who have this gift, if, if you're the recipient of, of their word of wisdom, don't exalt the person who has it. It is literally not of their doing. <laughs> it's not them that should be exalted. What you take it as is God is working through that individual to help lead you to proper application of what He says. And thank the Lord for meeting you where you're at. It's beautiful when it's done and exercised in the body of Christ. But let's move on back in 1 Corinthians 12. So that's the word of wisdom. What about the word or utterance of knowledge? Now this one is a little bit more hotly contested. The Greek phrase here is logos gnosis. Uh, this is where the Gnostics get their name from. Gnosis, Greek word. Like wisdom, knowledge in a general sense is the result of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In fact, Proverbs 9.10 weds both wisdom and knowledge together. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, biblically, we can make a connection here. Knowledge leads to understanding. Knowledge and understanding then leads to wisdom. And Proverbs exhorts us over and over and over, and all you do, get knowledge, get wisdom. Right? Don't forsake it. We need knowledge. We need understanding so that we can have wisdom of what to do, how to walk, how to live. Also like wisdom, we're called in a general sense with knowledge to grow in it. One of my favorite verses, in fact, if I ever send you a card or something like that, I often put this Scripture as a reference. 2 Peter 3.18, Peter's almost his very last words recorded. He says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So in a general sense, we are all to be in the Word of God. We are all to be pursuing Christ. We're all to be growing in knowledge. Paul said his whole ministry as an apostle was to bring about the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus. Okay, so this gift, whatever it is, is not a general knowledge. Specifically, we do need knowledge of Jesus. We need knowledge of grace. We need knowledge of His Word. So what is this gift? And this is an important point. I'll say it here. Some say that this gift is talking about those individuals who are able to study and understand God's Word so as to teach others. They have great knowledge and insight into the Word of God. Um, 
The knowledge here then, that they, they understood knowledge to be referring to knowledge of the Word. Now, in essence, that's actually no different than a teacher, which we're going to look at next. Okay, So I don't think that's all that knowledge here is referring to. Yes, it is referring to that, but that's not all it's referring to. And we'll look at some biblical examples to show you what I mean. I think that this gift is both knowledge of the Word, but also sometimes it's knowledge of situations. Okay, And I'll... I'm going to throw a disclaimer at the end of this gift, a word of caution to us. Here's some biblical examples. Again, we're not going to turn here. I'm going to summarize it because they're lengthy. But if you go read the prophet Elisha in the Old Testament, the prophet Elisha often exercised this gift. And it's different from prophecy. Okay, For instance, there's a woman who is childless. Elisha comes along and says, this time next year you're going to have a child. That's a prophecy, okay? Came to pass, a woman had a child. She doesn't see Elijah again. Lo and behold, Elijah's with his servant Gehazi. He sees this woman from a distance coming to him. And he says, you know what? Something's wrong. The Lord hasn't shown me what's going on here. Gehazi, go check it out. What's going on? There's no knowledge of what... Why is this woman come here? He didn't have knowledge. So he goes and sends his servant. And yet... To counter that example, to show you how this, you know, the Lord gives a word of knowledge sometimes, and sometimes He doesn't. There's other accounts with Elijah with uh, the Syrian king, Ben-Hadad, if you remember this account. Ben-Hadad is trying to wage war against Israel. He's planning all these attacks. And Elijah keeps getting a word of knowledge from the Lord. Hey, Ben-Hadad's going to attack here. So Elijah goes and tells Israel's captains, Hey, fortify this city. Ben-Hadad is coming. So much so did that happen where Elijah kept spilling the secret... The Ben Hadad started saying, "You know what? Someone in my ranks is a is a spy. <laughs> they're spilling the beans to Israel, and they're like, it ain't us. They have this guy over there in Israel, Elijah. He's telling them everything you're going to do, even what you're sleep where you're sleeping at night. That's a word of knowledge, okay? So sometimes the Lord empowers it, sometimes He doesn't. Even in His old prophets, sometimes He didn't give them a word of knowledge of what was going on." But what about the New Testament? Let's look at the New Testament. Go to Mark chapter 2. You'll see this very clearly in this account. You're very familiar with this account. Mark chapter 2, it's where there's a paralytic man. And they couldn't get into the house that Jesus was teaching in. So what they do, they take his friend up to the rooftop, pull back the roof, lower him down in front of Jesus to be healed. In Mark chapter 2... Let's pick it up in verse 5. So they've just lowered this friend down in front of Jesus, in front of everybody. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now verse 6, listen carefully. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their what? In their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is what they were inwardly thinking about the situation. And immediately, verse 8 says, Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they questioned within themselves, said, why do you question these things in your hearts? That's a word of knowledge. What was revealed was knowledge of what's going on in there. Right? You see that? Now, here's the disclaimer. 
there's some phonies out there who say that this gift is in operation in them and they'll kind of walk around and say, you know what? I've got a word of knowledge from the Lord for you. I know what you've been doing. That's not this gift again. That's going back to the Gnostic heresy where there's certain people who have all this knowledge about who you are and they kind of walk around and they're these gurus. No. This gift was given in a moment for a specific issue. And not only that, in this case, in Mark as well as others, it brought proper knowledge of the truth to the situation. What did Jesus go on to explain? Right? I do have authority to forgive sins. And so that you know I have authority, I'm going to tell this man, get up and walk home brought proper knowledge of who Jesus was to their doubting hearts. We see this gift in Matthew 16. You don't have to turn there. You remember Jesus' question to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Remember that? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now what was Jesus' response to him? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. That's a word of knowledge. Peter didn't just come up to this conclusion. He just figured it out. The Father in heaven gave him direct knowledge to answer this way. He is the Christ. That was a work of God. To reveal those truths to him. So there's two cases, right? One was specific to the truth, to the confession. Let's look at one more. Acts chapter 5. You know this passage as well. Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. We won't read the whole passage. Ananias and Sapphira in the early church, what'd they do? They had some land. They sold it. And then they kept part of it back. But pretended that's how much they sold it for. Remember that? Comes and gives the money to Peter. And man, look at how godly and sacrificial we are. And Peter says, hey, you're lying to the Holy Spirit right now. What, what are you talking about? Did you sell it for this much? Yeah. Then why'd you keep some of it back and pretend you didn't? You know the account, right? Ananias drops down dead. The wife Sapphira comes in sometime later, goes along with her husband's gig. She drops down dead. What was that an example of? The Holy Spirit gave Peter a word of knowledge of what's going on here. What was the effect Great fear came upon the whole church, right? My bride will be holy. Proper knowledge. None, in fact, who were not Christians dared join them, saying, holy cow, I might drop down dead if I begin lying in my heart. So you see this gift in operation in the Scriptures. You see it in operation today. In fact, I'm going to give you a personal example I just started echoing. Does it sound weird out there? Okay. Um, when I started as a youth pastor um, 14, 15 years ago, I was still a single guy living in the parsonage, and my brother at the time was a missionary all over the world. Specifically, he was in Spain and uh, Morocco. And the church that, that had sponsored him kind of abandoned he and his wife over there so that they were left without financial help without anything. And literally, I was sitting, it was a Friday afternoon, it was 4.30 in the afternoon. I'm in Texaco, my bank is Wells Fargo right over here. Took 15 minutes to get here. I'm sitting in my house and in an instant, I had this 
since I have to go deposit a certain amount of money, literally a certain amount of money came in my mind, you need to go put this in your brother's bank account right now. I didn't question it. I got in my car, drove up here with 15 minutes before they closed. I deposited this amount of money, went back home. Had no idea, but I knew I had to do that. Guess what happened the next day? I get a call from my brother from Spain, and he said, dude, he could see that it was me that deposited the money. He said, dude, I want to tell you what the Lord just did for me with that deposit. We've been abandoned. We don't have any money left. I have a pastor in England who said, if I can get to England, I have a place to stay with my wife and I. He said, I, I didn't have any money in my checking to rent a car, and here's how much it would cost. I literally went to the car rental place knowing I didn't have any money, but trusting the Lord to provide. I get there, I pull up my debit card to pay, and guess what? The exact amount to rent the car was the exact amount I deposited. That's a word of knowledge, okay? That is not me. That's not some miraculous power I have. I don't, I don't walk around with that happening all the time. In fact, it's very rare. But it's absolutely awesome when it happens, right? That's the obedience. I, I read of a pastor who uh, was studying and preparing his sermon. And he thought he was just, the Lord gave him a great sermon illustration about false teachers. And he said, you, just, you know, you need to beware of these guys. They live on, on this and this street and they drive this and this car, white Cadillac, and you know, they'll even wear these white uh, wingtip shoes, you know. And so he thought it was an illustration of, of false teachers. He's given his sermon. He gets done the next day. He goes in the office Monday and his secretary says, hey, there's someone I rate on the telephone wanting to talk to you. Okay, we'll put him on. So he gets on and this guy starts yelling at him. How dare you call me out in front of everybody? I am that guy who lives at that street. I do drive that white Cadillac and I was even wearing white wingtip shoes. And my, my ministry is legitimate. He says, what are you talking about? <laughs> that was you. <laughs> he had no idea that it was a word of knowledge calling this guy out. Exposing the ministry. So this happens. It doesn't happen often. In fact, uh, I, I brought my diaries of George Mueller. By the way, part of our scattering seed ministries to support our missionaries, you can pick up George Mueller's biography. I'm going to use him again when we get to the gift of faith. This happened over and over and over and over with George Mueller. If you don't know how George Mueller operated, he never told anybody his financial needs. He took everything to the Lord in prayer. And he completely trusted God to provide exactly what they needed. And over and over and over and over and over through his diaries, God would move people to give exactly the right amounts they needed at exactly the right time. I'll read you one such passage. This was a woman who stated November 18th. He says, our money was reduced to about eight shillings. And when I was praying with my wife in the morning, the Lord brought to my mind the state of our account, our purse. And I was led to ask him for some more money. We're almost out. About four hours after we were with sister so-and-so, and she said to me, do you need any money? I said, you know what, dear sister, I've told the brethren I will not ask for a salary. I won't ask for money. You take it to the Lord and see what he wants you to do. She replied, but the Lord has told me to give you this much money. He said, uh, about a fortnight ago, she goes on, I asked him what I should do for him. And he told me to give you so much money. And last Saturday, it came again powerfully to my mind and has not left me since. So he says, he, he didn't push it. He didn't reveal his needs to her. 
He said, that's between you and the Lord. And guess how much she gave? Exactly what they needed. That is the testimony of what this gift is, a word of knowledge, and how it operates to bless the body, to provide for the body, sometimes to purify the body, as is the case in Acts chapter 5. Now you've got to be careful, as I said, um, there are charlatans who claim this gift, who exalt themselves as gurus who walk around with secret knowledge of what you're doing privately. That is not this gift. That is not how it works. It literally comes in an instant and then goes away. And sometimes the Lord, most of the time, the Lord doesn't give you secret knowledge like that. If He does, often it's to bless someone or to pray for someone or to confront something that's going on. But the effects of this gift are tremendous when properly understood and properly exercised in a church. Let's move on to the last gift we're going to cover today, the gift of teaching. Now this one is in Romans chapter 12, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 12. So verse 3 in Romans 12, Paul says this, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And we're not going to take the time to go through that. I probably should, but we're not today. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Basically what he said in 1 Corinthians 12. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation, the one who gives in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We're going to cover teaching this morning. Paul himself said in 2 Timothy 1.11, I myself was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. He had a threefold ministry. He was an apostle. And as an apostle, he had a preaching ministry and he had a teaching ministry. Okay? So there's a difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching is literally declaring the message of God, proclaiming it. Often it's done to people who are not Christians. That's where you find preaching done. There's times a church needs to be preached at as well. But teaching generally is the explaining and giving the meaning of the Word of God to build up the church. That's what teaching is. I love this gift. Obviously, I think this is um, one of my gifts and what I'm called to. This gift is associated, it's one of few, associated also with an office of the church, that of pastor-teacher. Okay, So anybody who is going to be a pastor must be spiritually equipped with this gift. That's why when we did our study on elders, the one qualification that distinguished an elder between a deacon, nothing about their character. Their character has got to be identical. But an elder must be able to teach the Word of God if they're going to lead in that way. It's the one thing that set them apart. If you're not gifted in, the gift, in this area doesn't mean you're less effective. You're going to be more effective in the area that God's calling you to. So God has set this gift among the members of the body 
because of what it is. We are teaching and handling the Word of God. In fact, James cautions us saying, let not many of you become teachers, knowing you're going to receive a stricter judgment. So there's caution to this. There's a tendency for people to want to put themselves into this position, begin teaching, and they're not gifted in it, and they're going to wreck their life. So don't jump into this. However, my goal is not to discourage you from being teachers. I wish that we had more great teachers. Because the teaching and proper application and teaching of the Word of God will always benefit the church. In fact, in the Old Testament, very often we see one of the ways God brought judgment on Israel was by withholding teaching. For instance, Hosea, you know this verse well. Many people put it on their anti-abortion plaques. My people perish for lack of knowledge. That's what teaching is. Its goal is to bring knowledge of the truth. Second uh, Chronicles 15.3 stated this, For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him, He was found by them. The account goes on to talk about King Asa who brought reforms, the teaching of the law. Very graphically in a prophecy, Amos chapter 8, 11 and 12 says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Very graphically, a judgment of God. I'm going to withhold teaching my word. So, teaching is obviously an important aspect. I love, just as one Old Testament example, obviously you guys know the Bible abounds in illustrations for teaching, but one of my favorite, Nehemiah chapter 8. If you know Nehemiah's history, Nehemiah and Ezra led the people who went into captivity back into the promised land. It's that first generation They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the city. They institute the law, the reading of the law, the worship, all this stuff. But the people had been away for 70 years. They didn't even speak Hebrew anymore. So when the law was read, they didn't get it. Nehemiah 8, Ezra's reading the law to all the people that gathered. But in the crowd were certain men, and it lists the names in this passage. I'm not going to read them all. Who were also, as as the Word of God was being read, these people were going through the crowd and, and making sure Hey, do you know what's being said? You understand? Here's what it says. They helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places as Ezra read it out loud. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And these men who are in the crowd, it says this, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That's teaching. A teacher can listen to the Word of God, study the Word of God, and say, do you get what's going on here? Let me make it clear. Let me help you understand what's being said. That's teaching. In the New Testament, obviously, Jesus had a teaching ministry. He said, that's partly why I came. To go from town to town, not only do miracles, not only just to teach the people. Paul said this in, in, Acts, in Acts 11, 26. Uh, I love this passage. He was sent back to Tarsus. Barnabas says, hey, revival's starting in Antioch. We need help. Goes to Tarsus, brings Paul down, understanding Paul was a teacher. And it says this in, in verse 26 that Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch for about a year and they taught the people. 
Now, I've been here two and a half years. I need to get going. Paul was only there for a year. So. I intend to stay here. I, I want one of those ministries where it's like 50 years, you know. You guys are probably going to be like, ugh. <laughs> Please don't, Seth. Here's how Paul summed up his own ministry, Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's the goal of teaching. I, as a teacher, long to see you as Waypoint members mature in the Lord. So I want to work hard, laboring at teaching you what this book says and is and means, giving you the sense. Obviously, the effects of good teaching. I, I, there's many you could say. I want to just read one passage. This is out of Isaiah. This is so good. Isaiah 54, if you want to turn there and follow. Isaiah 54, verse 13 and 14. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And what's the effect? Great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Now that doesn't mean hardships won't come. What that promise states is this church, when, when hardships, when trials, when all that does come, you won't have fear. It's different. You can walk through the fire fearing no evil. See that? The effects of teaching are tremendous. Peace, fear, terror will flee because God's Word is understood by the people of God. They are growing and feeding on it. Applications for today. So, if you see... Now, I'll say this. My road to teaching was, um, I stumbled. <laughs> I did not want to be a teacher. In fact, other people who are Christians recognized God's calling on me before I did. And they kept encouraging me to teach. And I was like, no way. I put it off for over a year. Um, until I was in Jerusalem, actually looking at the Wailing Wall. And I just, I think it was a word of, of God to my heart, to my spirit, I was watching the Jews as they were praying, crying out for God to come home. And this word came to my heart said, those men are showing more zeal for me than you are, Seth. And I said, I knew exactly what was being said to me. I am resisting the Lord. Surrender. And that's when I surrendered to the call of God in my life. I came back, um, and lo and behold, my pastor approached me, said, hey, we want you to pray and consider interning as youth pastor. I said, I'll do whatever you want. I'm surrendered to the call of God. I began teaching, and, and in me, a love for it began to grow. Now, the thing with spiritual gifts, and this is true for every spiritual gifts, um, it, when you fall in disuse, it falls in, uh, what, what would be the word? Um, laziness, right? When you fall into laziness, not exercising your gift, you need to stir it up. Paul told Timothy, hey, Timothy, stir up the gift that has been given to you. Exercise it. Begin practicing it. If you think you might be a teacher, the best way to find out, try and teach. And you know what God will do? Even if your knowledge of the Word of God is just the milk, God will bless the preaching and teaching of it. It will be fruitful. One of my favorite things to observe in new believers 
is when God is showing them truths and they share those great, wonderful new truths with, with the group or with an individual. And as they're sharing it, you're just blessed by listening to it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, man, God is working in that person. They might be a teacher. <laughs> the dots are connecting for them. And I want to encourage them in that. My dream for Waypoint, you want to hear what my dream for Waypoint is? I hope someday to have a school where we can teach people how to be teachers and ministers and train them up. I love that. So I don't want to discourage anyone from not wanting to teach. I want to encourage you. Maybe you are. I didn't think I was. Moses didn't think God should use him. Right? So don't look at yourself as the measure of whether or not you're a teacher. Seek the Lord. These are spiritual gifts. Teaching does not, teaching the Bible does not come naturally. And not only that, even pastors and teachers, as they're teaching, sometimes the teaching is falling flat, right? Because the Spirit of God, for whatever reason, is not moving, not working. It's a spiritually empowered gift. Pray for me in that, being my, my call in ministry, but I want to encourage you. Maybe you are a teacher. Maybe you need to look for avenues by which you can teach others. Okay, we'll stop there. That's a lot to chew on, but we'll pick it up next week and and continue looking at this. I'll call the worship team up as I close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this time in the Word. I love looking at this stuff. Father, I'm excited for those who are coming, Lord, who may not know what their gifts are, how you've equipped them, where you're calling them to serve. Father, I'm excited for them to discover what it is you've gifted them to do. Father, I pray they do discover it and they start putting their hand to that plow and bearing good fruit, being effective. Father, help us to recognize truly how beautiful these gifts are as they were in operation for sure in the early church. And they were beneficial. They were good. They built up the body into what it needed to be. Father, I think so often the church is in disarray because people are not using their gifts Because a body without a hand, though it can function, it can't function to its capacity. Father, we need every member. I pray You encourage us to be zealous to want to serve and know how it is You've gifted us. I pray You bear much fruit through this study, Lord. Use us in service, Father. Whether it's with the military, whether it's with locals, whether it's with our missionaries in Spain, wherever, Father, we want to be fruitful. All for your glory, Lord, because you've been so good to us. May we, as we sing this last song, just sing these great truths that you are ours and we are yours. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.